This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Biobanks play a critical role in biomedical research, providing scientists with ready access to cell lines, DNA, and other biomaterials that can provide insights into the causes and mechanisms of diseases. Coriel Institute for Medical Research, one of the world's leading biobanks, has long served as a steward of important collections of biomaterials from the National Institutes of Health and other organizations. We spoke to Debbie Requisense, co-principal investigator of the National Institute of General Medical Sciences Human Genetics Cell Repository at Coriel, about the role of biobanking, how it can accelerate research into rare genetic disease, and what patients can do to ensure researchers have access to materials related to their conditions. Debbie, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me today. We're going to talk about Coriel Institute for Medical Research, biobanking, and the critical role this plays in understanding rare diseases and, and the development of therapeutics to treat them. I'd like to start with Coriel itself, though, for Listeners who may not be familiar with Coriel, can you describe what it is and what it does? Oh, sure, of course. So uh, the Coriel Institute uh, is recognized as one of the world's leading biobanks. So a biobank, uh, we also call a repository or a biorepository, uh, is just a place that collects, stores, and distributes biological samples. They're usually things like blood, tissue, uh, in our case, a lot of skin tissue, and then we distribute cell lines and DNA to be used for research. Uh, we also collect uh, and distribute information from these samples. Uh, so it is important for people to understand that we are the identified samples in-house, so we do not give any information that will link the sample to the donor, but we do have information uh, that is mainly demographic, such as age and, and race, and in more importantly, in the case of, of samples from a, a deceased patient, information about the sample itself, about the genetic information of the sample. Um, we do distribute these samples all over the world, unless uh, our biobank does. Uh, technically, in the last, you know, more, more than 80 countries have received samples in the past year. And uh, our most important uh, uh, business is that we actually host here some of the most world-renowned collections from the, the National Institutes of Health uh, that are part of our collections. Well, what's the business model? Is Coriel a for-profit or a non-profit? Does it rely on grants, philanthropy, fee-for-service? Sure. So Coriel is an independent non-profit institution. Uh, it, has been, it was founded in 1953 by Dr. Louis Coriel, hence our name. Uh, he was very instrumental in the development of the polio vaccine back in the time. And um, 
uh, we rely on a combination of all those. We mainly have grants and contracts from the NIH, but we also do have some funding from uh, coming from philanthropy and as well as commercial services. So as I said, we host some of the largest and uh, most diverse collections from the NIH, but we also have some private collections and some uh, we do services for the scientific community in general. So really a, a combination of all those. And how unique is Coriel? Where does it fit into the, the broader world of biomedical research? Well, Coriel is unique in the sense that uh, it's been an incredible resource for scientists for over 60 years. Uh, we have to remember that the NIH has trusted us with uh, their collections for over 40 years of some of them. Uh, we pride ourselves in setting the gold standard in quality control of biosamples. Um, our collections are utilized by investigators all over the world daily uh, to be better understand genetic disorders. They're using the discovery of new genes. Uh, our DNA is mainly used to develop uh, ways to detect genetic diseases. And, of course, our cell lines are used uh, for the development and testing of treatments and cures for many disorders. You mentioned the relationship with NIH. You've had this long-standing collaboration with the National Institute of General Medical Sciences to yes. develop the NIGMS Human Genetic Cell Repository. What exactly is that, and and how is it used? So the NIGMS uh, Human Genetic Cell Repository, we call it the NIGMS Repository for short. It's a handful otherwise. Um, it was established here at Coriel back in 1972. It's been here ever since. Um, is uh is a mainly a repository of cell cultures of very well characterized cell cultures and high quality DNA uh that represents over a thousand rare disorders. Uh the NGMS repository has over eleven thousand cell lines and a little bit over six thousand DNA samples. And it has a, a few dozens I uh, induced pluripotent stem cells as well. These numbers uh, keep growing all the time. We have submissions uh, every year that increase those numbers. But uh, our major emphasis is on heritable diseases and chromosomal abnormalities. Although we have the, we have a large collection of uh, cell lines that come from human variation, there's are cell lines that were um, or donors that were um, given to us from different populations around the world, as well as many apparently healthy controls. And uh, this is a mainly a great resource for scientists studying rare diseases. And as you can imagine, uh, for a scientist studying a particular disease from a rare disorder specifically, the, where the patients are so rare and all over the world, it will be very complicated for uh, that person to go and find every patient and establish their cell lines and get the DNA. So something like what we have here at the repository allows scientists to go directly to the centralized resource and obtain the cell lines that they use for their, for their research. How exactly do you work with researchers, and can any researcher access samples from you? And how do how do researchers even know whether or not you have a sample relevant to a disease he or she may be studying? Sure. So we have a very easy to use, a very um, um, a large website as an online resource where researchers can go online and look at the samples that we have. We distribute uh, to researchers. Like I said, all over the world, um, many, many countries, anybody that has access to the Internet can actually purchase samples from us. We do require, though, that the investigator works from an accredited uh, institution. Um, they have to set up an account within Coriel, and we make sure that the institution is, that the researcher uh, is associated with a recognized uh, organization, either research, medical, or even commercial, and it has to be engaged in, in biomedical research. And how does Coriel the biosamples it has? Well, we work with uh, two different ways. We work either directly with patients, 
So we rely very heavily on patients and advocacy groups for the submission of samples. Uh, we are always pursuing them. We do a lot of outreach efforts. We go to them. Uh, we go to their part. We participate on their on their meetings and conferences. We give a lot of information for them. Uh, to give to their patients so they know about this resource and how to donate. We sometimes organize um, collections at meetings. For example, uh, just last year we went to the CureCMD family conference and set up a blood collection, and we, we brought many samples back to the repository. This year we are planning to go to the Turner Foundation in September, and we're going to do something similar. So we work very closely with donors. Um, we also work with investigators that are working already with a particular disease or a particular group of patients, and in that case, that investigator is the connection to the to the patients, and either he or she will collect the samples or will uh, transfer the samples already established to us. You talked about your experience with CMD and, and, and Turner syndrome. As the rare disease patient community becomes more sophisticated and plays a more active role in driving research, they also recognize the importance of having biosamples available to the research community. Are there other ways you work with these organizations, and, and what role can they play in making needed biosamples available? Sure. So the rare disease community has definitely been a driving force in the in the research for rare disorders. Uh, families and, and patients, as you as you know uh, quite well, they are sometimes more knowledgeable about their own disease than the doctors that they're seeing, and sometimes even more than the scientists working in this research. So. If you add that to the power of social media, uh, we have this new model where the affected individuals and their families are really directing their research efforts. So they do understand very clearly the importance of having their samples in a place like a, the NIGMS repository where they can, uh, they can work very closely with us, they can give us a sample, and then they can allow any scientist and researcher out there to have access to this. And the way that we work with them, as I said, we provide a lot of informational materials to them. Uh, many of them have information about the repository on their website, on their social media outlets. Uh, we do go to talks. Um, we are very close. Uh, we're very good friends of the Global Genes. We've been there for the last two years. I gave a talk a couple of years ago. One of my colleagues did last year. We'll be there next year again, by the way, this year, uh, the summit in October, we'll be, um, we'll be setting up a booth so people can come and talk to us and we can give them more information. Uh, hopefully we'll be giving a talk as well describing this. So we do have this very close, um, relationship with the families and more and more, as I said, the more and more they learn about their diseases, the more powerful they become. What's the process for working with, <clears throat> excuse me, what's the process for working with a rare disease group that wants to collect patient samples? How can they go about that and are there financial considerations they have to think about? Yeah, that's an important question. So any rare disease group, uh, as a matter of fact, actually any patient that has been diagnosed with a gen genetic disease or a chromosomal abnormality can contact us directly via uh, either email or phone. Um, all the information is on our website, by the way, which is coriel.org, and our email address is nigms at coriel.org. They can just send us a quick email. We immediately call them back. We answer all of their questions. We work with them. The way we work with this, we have kits that have all the, all the materials necessary for the collection of either tissue biopsies or blood. We send these kits directly to the patients or to the advocacy groups, and they can just bring them to the doctor and get their, uh, their sample. Uh, we do recommend that uh, patients take their blood samples during a scheduled doctor's visit, although we do reimburse as much as $40 per patient if they have to take their blood drawn at a drawn station. Um, unfortunately, we cannot reimburse costs associated with a tissue biopsy, but so we recommend that these biopsies are collected uh, during a scheduled surgical procedure. Um, the other way that we work, as I mentioned before, is that we do organize 
collections at site. So if anybody has a meeting coming up, or have a family group coming up, uh, and they have enough patients that they think that it, it can, they can get together and donate, uh, we will be happy to organize that. Everything is paid by us. We bring the kids, we collect the blood, we pay, uh, pay, pay for the whole process, and then bring them back to the collect to the to the repository. And it seems like those are really great opportunities to capture. Uh, a, a lot of patients for a, a rare disease in a single They patient. are a great opportunity. People are there. People bring their families. So not, not, not only we get the access to the what we call the probands, which are the patients themselves, but also the families. So because we like to to have the opportunity to also collect samples from parents and siblings. So these are these family meetings are a great opportunity for that. What do patients need to understand about donating biosamples, and, and how could they go about? doing this on their own, absence of an organized effort by a, a rare disease organization? Well, I think the most important thing for patients to understand is that donating their sample to a repository like ours will support and make research possible. It is important to imagine that your own sample with your own mutation of your disease will be the one that scientists will have access to. It will be able to work on and try to find a cure for them. Uh, as I said, one of the key barriers for finding the treatments of these rare diseases is the lack of samples to work on. So scientists need to have these resources to be able to test potential drugs or to have uh, to be able to test therapy. So uh, patients need to understand the interest for, for their research and for their disease to have these uh, materials available. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, you don't have to be associated with any, uh, with any group. You can just contact us directly. And in that case, we will send you the key directly to your door or to the doctor of your choice. And you can just have the sample taken and then be sent to us free of charge. Uh, a tagline Coriel uses is decoding the genome. What role do the biosamples you collect play in helping to understand the genetics underlying diseases, and how are they used to do that? Well, it's very, you know, a lot of the samples that we have, we have, we make a lot of DNA. So, so that's one of the things that the scientists use them as, uh, all the time from us. And they are used for the cure of these rare disorders. They are utilized to understand the genetics of it. They understand the mutation, understand how the genes are, how the genes are working and how the disease is functioning. Uh, thanks to these samples, uh, scientists are able to discover new genes and maybe discover new mutations and try to understand how they're working and how they are making the disease any worse or any better. Uh, and ultimately, I think the cell lines in this DNAs are used to test new drugs, and they can, you know, they can help in the development of potential treatments and, and cures of the disorders. Um, also, Coriel, also besides being a biobank, is uh, it works with a personalized medicine research, and uh, we do research internally as well. So all of this, um, all of these processes together really do help in what we call the coding the genome or helping out with these genetic disorders. And if there was a pitch to make to rare disease patients for why they should consider donating biosamples, what would that be? Oh, it would definitely be the fact that imagine us being as a centralized resource of samples for researchers. Anybody in the world will have access to your sample, and the more people working on your, on your sample, the more chances you get to have a cure. Debbie Rekasens. Co-Principal Investigator of the National Institute of General Medical Sciences Human Genetic Cell Repository at Coriel. Debbie, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. 
You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.